0: Lindsay Marie Harris was born to her parents, Martha and Robert, on September 3rd, 1983, in Smithtown, New York. She had a twin brother named Ryan and another brother named Jared. The tight-knit family lived in Smithtown before they relocated to Skinny Atlas, New York, in 1986. Lindsay was described as a lover of life. She was a great artist, she was very kind and generous to everyone around her, and she had a really good sense of humor, which I appreciate. Lindsay graduated from high school in 2002 and she had aspirations of becoming a makeup artist slash cosmetologist. So I think it's safe to say that this came as a shock to her family when she told them that she was actually moving near Las Vegas, Nevada. She was moving to the city of Henderson, to be exact. And she was only 19, I mean, this was just a year after graduating, in 2003. She was fresh out of high school, and you know, Henderson's 20 minutes from Las Vegas, the city of Sin, I mean, it's very close. So I can't imagine her parents were, you know, very fond of this plan, especially because of the reason behind the move, Lindsay had recently met a man at a local hip hop concert by the name of Solomon Barron. He was a 26-year-old. Solomon described himself as a music promoter and the two hit things off very quickly, like sparks were flying.
1: Yeah, and flying enough that 19-year-old Lindsay agreed to move in with Solomon, Lindsay had brought Solomon home to meet her family later that year during Christmas after their big move. Robert, Lindsay's father, remembers meeting Solomon for the first time at that gathering and something very specific comes to Richard's mind when he thinks about that meeting. Robert had told Solomon to take care of his daughter and to make sure that nothing happened to her. This visit during the holiday by Lindsay and Solomon was the only interaction any of the Harris family would have with them together. The next interaction they would have would change the Harris life forever. Lindsay was good about keeping touch with her family back home. She would update them all the time, keep in contact, and distance just didn't matter. During one of the communications to her family back home, Lindsay had told her family that she had found a job as a dancer at a local club in downtown Las Vegas, which was definitely sugarcoating the actual occupation. Lindsay was beautiful. She was tall, blonde, and she had landed herself a position as an upscale escort. Lindsay obviously didn't want her family, especially her parents, to know this, and it didn't come to light about what she was actually doing until Lindsay ends up missing. The world of escorting, for obvious reasons, is extremely dangerous, and sadly, Lindsay was naive to these dangers. Would this new position at the nightclub be the reason for her disappearance?
0: On May 4th, 2005, Lindsay called home to check in. She said hello, and she talked to her twin brother. She wished her brother good luck because he had upcoming exams. She spoke with her family, and then she hung up and went about her day. That afternoon, Lindsay is seen on surveillance footage wearing sweatpants and her hair up in a messy ponytail, and she's at a Bank of America in Henderson. That surveillance caught her at 3.36 p.m., making a deposit at the bank. So after she makes her deposit, she then moves away from view of the camera, and she's actually never seen alive again. Now, sometime that day, not sure if it was before or after the deposit, she had actually mailed a Mother's Day card to her mother back home in New York. Now, we know this because Martha would actually receive this card, sadly, after young Lindsay went missing. So, after the surveillance footage picked up Lindsay at the bank, her whereabouts are not clear. Solomon, her boyfriend, had actually been back in Syracuse, New York, and he was there on business at the time that Lindsay disappeared. But he received a voicemail from her the morning of May 6, and the voicemail was at 1:12 a.m. She said that she was leaving the Monte Carlo Casino in Las Vegas and that she was going to be heading over to the Luxor Casino. Solomon then made several attempts to reach Lindsay by phone. All of these attempts were unsuccessful. So Lindsay would text Solomon very frequently on a daily basis. But on May 6, those text messages stopped. Concerned about not being able to reach Lindsay, Solomon then hopped a flight home back to Henderson immediately. Now, once he had returned home on May 7th, Solomon then, and this is according to the Las Vegas Sun, called Lindsay's family to see if they had heard from her, and they hadn't heard from her. The last time that the Harris family had contact with her was actually that May 4th phone call you know, when Lindsay called home to check in. So worried and frantic, Solomon then reports Lindsay missing. The Las Vegas cops quickly determine that Lindsay never made it to her car the early morning of May 6th. Her Mercedes car was found May 9th, abandoned in between the Excalibur and the Luxor casinos. Lindsay herself is nowhere to be found. Now, there were witnesses that came forward saying that they had seen Lindsay heading in the northbound direction of the Las Vegas Boulevard around 4 and 5 a.m. on that morning of May 6th. There was a PT Cruiser rental in Lindsay's name. And now this PT was found abandoned a block down the road from her Henderson home. It was parked near a very like deserted, empty lot of land. There's no information that we could find online as to who took this rental out or why it was in Lindsay's name. Even how it ended up really a block from her home. We just don't know. But there was a private investigator named Tom Dillard, and he told the Las Vegas Sun where the rental was and how it was abandoned was very suspicious to him. But he really didn't divulge much more information on that car. Solomon
1: was questioned heavily into what he may know about Lindsay's disappearance, but was quickly ruled out as having no involvement in her disappearance Because of the fact that he was clear across the country when she went missing and he had all of his travel receipts to prove his whereabouts. According to the Las Vegas Sun, Solomon did go on the record saying, Everybody wants to know, are you this? Is she that? It's not rocket science what she does and what any of the girls I have been around do. Everybody is not the same. Some people get married, go to college, have a picket fence. It's not everybody. All of this is irrelevant. There's a young woman missing. Solomon tossed around the idea that Lindsay possibly met a dangerous client and maybe they had robbed her of the expensive jewelry that he had supplied her with. But he insists that he loves her and she was the best thing that had ever happened to him and he would never in a million years do anything to harm her. Solomon dodged the questions asking if he was a pimp. He said the question was irrelevant and one he's tired of people asking. The search continued on for Lindsay, yet searching for someone in Las Vegas is literally searching for a needle in a haystack. Lindsay's parents were afraid the investigators would just chalk up Lindsay's disappearance as another sex worker missing and not take her case seriously. On May 23rd, 19 days after Lindsay was reported missing, a group of friends were out riding their ATVs along the I 55 in Diveron, Illinois. Illinois. Illinois in the early evening hours. This is about 15 miles south of Springfield, Illinois and almost 1,700 miles from Las Vegas where Lindsay was last seen by witnesses. While riding their ATVs, Casey Becker and two of his buddies spotted what appeared to be some sort of prop. It was actually a severed human leg lying on the ground. The group of boys sped home to report their findings to the Illinois State Police. One of the boys' own fathers was actually a local Illinois police officer, and he did not believe the boys whatsoever when they told him that they had found a severed human leg while they were out riding. These boys were known to be like get in trouble and make false claims and it probably didn't help that they were also known for often being high on drugs. So yeah, the report wasn't taken seriously by them. But after some pushing from the boys to the cops, the cops decided to go and take a look and what do you know? There it was right where they said it would be that severed leg. In the reporting, the police noted that the leg had not started to decompose at the time it was recovered. It eerily had appeared to be freshly severed. The toenails on the foot of the leg were painted in a pink French tip, and a black, yellow, and pink ink tattoo was located on the leg's inner thigh, though officers could not positively identify the design of the tattoo.
0: As the investigation continued the following day, the police had returned to the scene where the leg was found to discover a second severed leg that was roughly 20 feet away. So DNA testing on the legs determined they were from the same body. A more thorough search of the area was conducted with dogs, and ground patrol but no other human body parts were ever found so further analysis of the severed legs determined that they had belonged to a white female with brown hair the female would have been between the ages of 20 and 40 years old 5'3 to 5'7 in height they kind of got a rough sketch of what she would look like But the question remained, who did the legs belong to? The tattoo in the woman's inner thigh was very hard to identify because the actual design of the tattoo was at the point of the leg that had been severed from the torso, so they couldn't make it out. Now, the cops did not release information on what type of tool that they believed was used to sever these legs from the torso. The coroner stated that a thigh bone was exposed on one of the limbs and that both of the feet were attached. Police released the details of these severed legs to, you know, surrounding agencies and law enforcement all across the country because they were hoping that they could help identify who these legs belonged to. I mean, let's be real, it's not every day that you come across a pair of severed legs. Who fits this profile? Who's missing? Where's a torso? Sans legs. I mean, But they came up with nothing. No one fit the profile of these legs that was reported missing. So the profile and the DNA was entered into CODIS, the Combined DNA Index System. And that was in June of 2005. Well, they would have to wait quite some time before they would find out whom those legs belonged to. Meanwhile, back in Nevada, in January of 2006, a tip came in to the Las Vegas Police Department. And this kicked off a massive search for Lindsay Harris. Martha and Robert Harris flew in from New York to Las Vegas to be there during the search. But they didn't participate because, you know, they just feared that they would come across something horrific. They couldn't bear being the ones to come across Lindsay if, you know, that tip had been credible. Well, 250 volunteers combed a massive area in this huge desert terrain and that was located near Lindsay and Solomon's home that they shared in Henderson. Solomon did not participate in the search for Lindsay. Instead, he gave interviews to local news stations from the front door of his Henderson home.
1: In May of 2008, three years after the severed legs were recovered, the FBI was hit with a DNA match to them from authorities in Henderson, Nevada. This match came from DNA that Henderson had extracted from a toothbrush that belonged to Lindsay. How did Lindsay's legs end up 1,600 miles away in Illinois? Some people speculated that this was the work of a truck-driving serial killer, considering how the legs were found right off the freeway and nowhere near where Lindsay lived. Some still insisted on keeping Solomon under the spotlight, but he was unable to have committed this crime because he was nowhere near her when she disappeared. The investigators wanted answers to all the questions that we all still have. They said that there was no evidence to conclude that Lindsay was murdered in the area of Illinois where her limbs were found. They believe that she was killed elsewhere, somewhere between Nevada and that spot where the guys were ATVing. The Illinois Police Department took over the investigation as it shifted from a missing person's case to a full-blown murder investigation.
0: Lindsay's family had held out hope all those years that Lindsay was still alive, but with the identification of her limbs, it was clear that Lindsay was not coming home to her family. Someone who took a very personal connection to this case was none other than In Pursuit's John Walsh. The Harris family was well known to John Walsh as they were close family friends. John Walsh knows all too well the tragedy of losing a loved one. His son, Adam Walsh, was kidnapped from a Sears department store in Hollywood, Florida. He was murdered in 1981 at the young age of six. John's son's murder is what drove him to become the victim rights advocate, criminal investigator, and host and creator of America's Most Wanted. John dedicated a segment to Lindsay Harris's case on America's Most Wanted back in 2005 and he also dedicated an episode of his show In Pursuit with John Walsh, and he titled it A Personal Mission. You guys can find it on Season 2, Episode 4, and that air date was back in February of 2020. John wants nothing more than to get justice for the Harris family. Investigators in Las Vegas have reason to believe that Lindsay's case could be linked to other cold case murders and disappearances in the Las Vegas area, including that of twenty five year old Misty Saiyans. She was a local sex worker and her partial remains were recovered wrapped within a plastic cloth dumped off a rural road out in Red Rock Canyon National Reserve back in March of two thousand three. Misty's torso was identified through DNA two years after it was recovered. Jody Marie Brewer, who was age nineteen, also a local sex worker in Vegas, went missing in Las Vegas in 2003. Her torso, which was also recovered, once again wrapped in plastic tarp, was found 25 miles from the California-Nevada state line. Another 21-year-old, Jessica Foster, has been missing from Las Vegas since 2006. She actually remains missing to this day. So the investigators strongly believe that there is a connection between all of these young women's cases, which include Lindsay. The connection between these women is they're all young girls, and they were all once sex workers within that Las Vegas Valley. So I guess those that believe the theory, that truck serial killer theory, that could be plausible. He kills the women, leaves the downtown area of Vegas, and he ditches what's left of their body parts along the highway. And since he's constantly moving on the roads, he never stays in one place too long, which makes it easier for him to commit these murders. Now, according to the Las Vegas Police Sergeant Justin Ryan, he said, it's just a theory that's been looked at. But until we get something more, it's just a theory.
1: With no leads coming in on Lindsay's case, it ended up stalling for seven years until 2015. On July 18, 2015, a man named Neil Falls had met a sex worker by the name of Heather on the site Backpage.com. This site was actually founded way back in 2004 with the purpose of competing with Craigslist. So it's a site used for a whole bunch of things, some legit, some shady. I say mostly shady, but you can upload ads, post rentals, jobs, and you can also arrange sexual meetups in the adult section, which is what we use Tinder for today. So 45-year-old Neil creepily tracks down Heather At her home, showing up with a loaded gun, holding her at gunpoint. Neil then begins to strangle her, and through a fight, Heather was not backing down. At the time, Heather had a rake in her hands, and she used it in an attempt to defend herself against this insane man. Heather had nothing to lose at this point, so she reaches and grabs Neil's gun after he stupidly, but thank God, had set it down on the floor, and she shoots him Straight in the head, he dies instantly in his tracks. What they find inside of Neil's Subaru Forester would shock even the most seasoned investigators. Neil was carrying what is referenced as a kill kit, He had knives, bleach, a shovel, cleaning supplies, plastic tubs, a bulletproof vest, axes, and a sledgehammer all on him in his car. The cops also found a yellow post-it in Neil's pocket with the name of six women on it. All six of these women whose names were redacted from all documentation for security purposes were involved in sex work and he had met them all on Backpage. They could only suspect with Neil now being dead and unable to answer any questions for himself that those women were Neil's next targets. Could the woman that had been killed in the area been victims of Neil before Heather single-handedly took him out? Was he the serial killer that investigators were drumming up theories about? The cops contacted the women listed on that yellow post-it, A, to make sure that they were still alive, and B, to inform them that they could have been Neil's next victims if he had not been shot dead. Thank God for Heather. Those six women, along with Heather, were all of the lucky ones. Heather told local news stations that she was confident Neil was there to try to kill her. No charges were ever filed against Heather. It was clear from every aspect of the situation, that she had shot Neil in self-defense. Neal Falls' DNA was entered in the National Database after he was killed in 2015 in hopes that he could be connected to unsolved crimes across the country.
0: As investigators are probing more into Neal's past, you know, his prior occupations, living locations, more possible crimes that this man could be tied to, one of those crimes is Lindsay Harris. Police agencies in West Virginia and Nevada are looking into any possible connections between Neil and Lindsay as well as Misty Sands, Jessica Foster and Jody Brewer? Neil had been living in Henderson, Nevada between the year 2003 and 2006. And coincidentally, this is the same time frame that these women go missing. He's been tied to a total of eight possible victims to date. Now, Neil Falls was even speculated to be the possible I-70 killer, but no evidence has ever linked him to any of those crimes. So, did Neil Falls kill Lindsay Harris and those other missing women from the Vegas Valley we're gonna post a poll on social media chime in let us know what you guys think so even though Solomon Baron was back in New York at the time Lindsay went missing John Walsh firmly believes that Solomon knows more than he's actually letting on Solomon has since moved out of that Henderson home that he once shared with Lindsay but according to his LinkedIn he actually still resides in the Las Vegas Valley area a source close to the Harris family said that they are confident it was Neil Falls who killed Lindsey Harris but they will have to come to terms that they may never actually find out the truth of what happened to Lindsay. We hope that one day the Harris family gets the closure into what really happened to Lindsay, and the families of those other young women get justice as well. With Neil now dead, I hope that investigators are able to piece together his timelines and the crimes that he was possibly involved in. Only time will tell, and you know that your murder girls will be watching for updates. The rest of Lindsay's body has never been recovered. The Harris family held a proper Funeral for Lindsay on May 24th, 2008, in their hometown of Skiatlas, New York. Lindsay's case remains open and unsolved to this day.
1: As always, thank you so much for joining us today for this new episode. And thank you so much for being patient as we were almost 24 hours late delivering to you guys. If you enjoyed today's case and enjoy every other case that we've brought to you, please go to wherever you're listening now and leave us a review. Five stars are the only ones that we accept.
0: As always, we hope you have a safe weekend, and we'll see you next Friday. Bye, Bye, guys. guys!